Let's pray before we look at God's Word this morning. Our Father, we come to you today and just rejoice and give thanks to you, God, for the the blessing of being able to be here, Lord, for the blessing of the, the beautiful day that you have given to us. But Lord, even more than that, we thank you that you are the God who speaks to his people. You are a God who reveals himself through through the Bible. And God, as we come this morning, we are a lot like blind Bartimaeus. Uh, God, we can't see. Spiritually, Lord, we are sometimes uh, blind to the things that, that you say so clearly in your word. We pray that you might open our eyes that we could behold the glorious truth of your word. Lord, even more so that we could see you and that, Lord, our hearts would be stirred to worship and to praise you. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, probably all of us at one time or another have encountered people in our lives who talk about their religion or their faith. But as we observe their life, we see that it's very clear that what they say they believe and the way they live their life are two separate things. Those two things don't go together. And while as Christians, we can be guilty of this from time to time, the Christian faith is a living faith. It's not just something that we say we believe. It is something that uh, where faith and life come together. What Christians believe is to inform and influence and impact the way that they live their lives. And the language that the Bible uses for this is walking. It's how we walk in this world. Now, kids, I don't know if your parents have read to you yet John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. If they haven't, you need to say, Mom, Dad, you've got to read this to me. It, it is a, a classic. And it's talking about this pilgrim who has come to faith in Christ and he abides in the city of destruction. But as he comes to faith in Christ and he sees who God is, then he is, goes on this path, this walk to the celestial city. And it's just sort of a, a, an allegory of the Christian walk, of the Christian faith. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we see that the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, that he uses this metaphor of walking or of living throughout the entire book of Ephesians. If you look with me uh, to chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, We once walked or lived in the trespasses and sins of our lives. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Having been made alive together with Christ and being saved by grace, we have become God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he exhorts us to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And then in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, We are to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So Paul uses this metaphor of walking uh, to refer to the Christian life over and over and over and over. Well, now we're coming to chapter 5, okay? And if you've read ahead at all in Ephesians, if uh, chapters uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, you'll see that there's just a whole lot of different commands. And you look at this and you think, boy, this is just a hodgepodge of, of different things that uh, Paul is now commanding 
the Christians in the church to do. But if you read it very carefully, you actually see that there are three major sections to this passage that really revolves around this metaphor of the Christian life or the Christian walk. And so in verses 1 and 2, he tells us to walk in love or to live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then in verses 3 and 4, he, uh, excuse me, 3 through 14, excuse me, he, he has this section about walking as children of light. And then finally in verses 15 through 21, he talks about that we are to walk in wisdom. And so in the coming weeks, and we're not going to cover all that today, so you can just sort of relax. We're not going to be here all afternoon. Um, we're going to cover that over the next uh, several weeks but today, we're going to begin to look at this as we look at what it means to walk in love. And then we're also going to just barely get into the idea of what it means to walk as, as light. And then next week, Ben, our summer intern, he's going to be preaching on verses uh, 8 through 14 and talking even more so about what it means to walk in light. So first of all, let's look at verses 1 and 2 and see what it means to walk in love. Now, notice carefully the, the family language that Paul uses uh, in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, you always know that the therefore is to point you back to what came before that. And in verse 32, Paul speaks about how God has forgiven us. And he says, because you have been forgiven, be imitators of God. Now, the Greek word for imitators is a term that we use, um, which we get the word mimic from. And you guys know what it means to mimic, right? Especially you kids that have brothers and sisters or maybe cousins or something. You've probably mimicked one another, right? You'll say, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say something about hi. And you go, hi. And they'll say, don't copy me. And you say, don't copy me. And you say, stop it. Don't say, stop it. And, you know, there's just this thing that goes on and on. That's mimicking. Now, not in a positive way. And I'm not encouraging you kids to do that, okay? But sometimes that's, that's sort of what mimicking looks like. But, it, but another way that we see mimicking that goes on is that when we begin to pick up the characteristics of other people, you know, children who maybe imitate their parents. And, and sometimes parents, our kids copy us even when we don't want them to copy us. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Maybe this is just me, but I really doubt it. You know, that you see your kids doing something, and so you stop them, and you correct them, and you're like, guys, don't talk like that. I cannot believe that you're being so harsh to your brother or sister. And then either your spouse points it out, or the Holy Spirit opens your eyes that you see that you realize, oh, Actually, that's the way I talk to other people. And you realize where they got it from, and that was from you. And it's a little humbling to, to sort of see that in your kids, that they're really just mimicking you. And, and even if you're an adult child, you know, you might find yourself repeating phrases. You know, you said, I'm never going to be like my parents. And, and sure enough, you're talking to your kids and you feel like you're channeling your parents. You're, as a matter of fact, the very words that your parents use are now coming out of your mouth. Or, or sometimes the mannerisms that you use, you know, you realize, my word, that's exactly what my dad did. Or that's exactly how my mom acted. And so children imitate their parents. And Paul says here that Christians are children of God. And they ought to bear that family resemblance. There ought to be the sense in which we are mimicking what it is that God does. They are to be imitators of the Father. So his character is to be seen 
in our character. Now, there, there are many uh, characteristics or attributes of, of God, which, uh, by the way, we, we studied in Sunday school. I was excited that Chris was willing to teach that um, because it lays a, a good foundation for us. And as we went through that study, and by the way, if you missed that, we posted those classes on the Internet. You can go back and listen to them. But, you know, Chris talked about how there are incommunicable attributes or those attributes of God uh, that we are not able to be like, okay? So, like, we cannot be infinite like God is infinite, or we can't be omnipotent, which means all-powerful, right? Or self-existent. Those kind of things, those characteristics of God, we will never possess. But there are other characteristics of God that, that uh, we can possess. His goodness. We can be merciful as God is merciful. We can be wise or truthful or, or forgiving, but specifically, Paul here is referring to how we are to live in love. And he says in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so if you want to use that language of the family, Jesus, our older brother, uh, loved us. And in his great love, he shed his blood for us bearing our sin in his body on the tree or upon the cross, being crucified in our place, condemned in our place. And because he was condemned in our place, we have become adopted children of his family. In other words, it's changed our status. It's changed our standing with God. No longer are we enemies with God, but we now have a new identity in Christ. We are now children of God. And Paul is telling us here that the love of Christ that uh, brought him to the cross is to be the paradigm or the template for the way that we are to love other people as well. It's one of the, the greatest paradoxes and mysteries of the Christian faith, um, if, I, if I might quote someone, that said that at the cross, when the white-hot fury and hatred of divine righteous wrath against my sin and your sin was poured out on our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Father damned the Son at Calvary with the damnation I have deserved, and at the same time, the Father was never more pleased with the Son as his Son, in obedience to the Father, offered himself a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And, and Paul says, that's what it means to walk in love. That's what it means to live in love. It's not just an emotionalism. It's not as our culture defines love as sort of a bland sentimentality. You know, I fall in love and I fall out of love. Love is an act of the will. It's a, it's a choice we make to act a certain way towards someone, to act for their benefit. See, for, for, for Paul to walk in love is to walk in the way of the cross. It is to obey God and to honor him. It's, it's to join our Savior who prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Now, could you imagine that? Now, kids, I see this in, in my kids' lives. I see this in my grandkids' lives. Unfortunately, I see it in my own life. We don't want to do someone else's will, right? We want to do what we want to do. We want to do those things and fulfill those things that desire that we, we desire in our heart of hearts. But Jesus 
is praying to his father before he's getting ready to face the cross to say, you know, Father, if you could just take this cup and let it pass, where I wouldn't have to go to the cross, great. But he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus even said in John chapter 4, verse 34, it's interesting that Jesus said that his food, that is his nourishment, was to do the will of his Father and to accomplish his work. There's nothing that Jesus desired more than to do the will of his Father. Not to do his will, but that of his Father. Now, that's, that's no small thing. If, you, if we're honest with one another and we really think about how we function in relationship with one another, that's not oftentimes the way we act. And that's oftentimes why there's strife between siblings or between uh, husband and wife or co-workers or neighbors or countries or whoever. But let me just ask you, when was the last time that the Holy Spirit worked in your life to enable you to love someone like this? You know, this isn't something that we can do in and of ourselves. It, it, it takes the work of God in our hearts to change us to do that. And when was the last time that you wanted, uh, that you wanted to do something, but instead you set aside what you wanted to do uh, to do what someone else wanted to do? And that it costs you dearly. You know, sometimes we will do stuff for other people, but usually we get kudos out of it. We feel good about it or they thank us for it. But, but love is is to go the way of Golgotha. Golgotha, of course, being where the cross was that Christ died. It is to go the way of Golgotha and to join your Redeemer in giving yourself for the glory of God and for the good of others in loving self-denial and sacrifice. So costly sacrifice for the glory of God is what it means to walk in love. The beauty of the, the Christian life, I think, is, is that Jesus went to the cross so that he might enable you to die daily to your own desires and instead to do the will of the Father. If we go back to that where Jesus said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And we look at our lives and we see the struggles that we have to do uh, someone else's will. And even specifically God our Father, who we say we love and we desire. It's so hard for us to do that. You need to understand we're not alone. Jesus says, I went to the cross and I died so that I might walk with you daily, that you may lay down your life and you may pick up your cross and you may follow me. You know, it's not easy to kids, is it, to play what your brothers and sisters want to play when it's different than what you want to do, is it? No, it's not. I mean, it's not easy to love the kid at school who, or in your neighborhood that keeps bullying you and putting you down in front of your friends. It's not easy to pick up after other people in your house and cook the meals and try to be the family activity director to make sure that everybody gets to be where they need to be and do what they're supposed to do. It's not easy to, to watch the person at work who slacks off and you have to end up doing half of their job because they're not doing what they're supposed to do and you don't even get a thank you for it and that person gets a promotion. Those kind of things are, are not easy, but neither was it easy for our older brother to Jesus to go to the cross knowing that he would be beaten beyond recognition, knowing that all the sins of those who, for which he died would be placed upon him. And even knowing that the Father would forsake him. But brothers and sisters, that's how much God loved us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that?
Do you know how much God loves us? That he would call us beloved children? I think in some ways we might know that God loves us. But do we know that God loves us? You know, one time I heard someone ask a group of kids if they knew that their parents loved them. And they said, yes, we know that our parents love us. But they said, but do you feel that your parents love you? And that caused them pause. Because it's one thing sometimes to know that someone loves you, but it's another thing to experience that love and to to feel that love. And so I want to ask us this morning, do you know that God loves you? If so, great. But do you experience that love each and every day? When people say ill things against you, when your day is hard and, and difficult, when circumstances seem almost to crush you, because they're so overwhelming, when you feel lower than low, can you say, it's okay, I'm fine, because I know my Father loves me. I know because if God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I am a beloved child of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. Who we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor presence nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. And those who are dearly loved are called to mimic God and to love others and to know that your older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, each day walks alongside you He has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with us that we might take up our cross and love others as well. But he also talks to us about how we are to walk in light. We are to love, but we are to also walk in light. Look at verses 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So see, there's another way to walk, another course of your life that you may follow. But it's a way that Christians are called not to walk. It's a way that the world walks. It's a a very enticing way and deceptive and, and deadly. And it is to walk, as he says, here in sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. Now, the word that he uses for sexual immorality here is actually the word porneia. Okay, it's the word that we get pornography from. And uh, he also then uses the word impurity, which is closely related to the word porneia. And together, the two of these words really address all forms of sexual immorality that breaks the bounds of God's law. 
Sex, of course, was designed by God to be a beautiful thing, to express that intimate love between one man and one woman within the bounds of lifelong marriage. But as a culture, we have ignored God's pattern and debased sexual humanity or sexuality uh, in humanity, uh, and it's being increased in even perverse ways. And we see this so often where sexuality is used as a way to satisfy my lust and my desires rather than living in a lifelong commitment. And we live in a world that approaches relationships really backwards and upside down from the way that God does it. You know, God has designed it that a man and a woman would come together in a lifelong relationship of marriage. And within that, as an expression of that love that they have with one another, that they would have that sexual intimacy and and unity. But how does the world do it today? Instead, let's just have sex to see if we're compatible. Not really a commitment, just a sense to see if we're compatible. But the problem with that is, is that kind of physical bond does not give the what is enduringly needed to have a lifelong relationship with one another. And so the world has it upside down and backwards. And God says, guys, and he's talking to the church here. He said, I did not create you that way. I created you not to be sexually immoral, not to, to follow the ways of the world and their, their thoughts about sexuality, but to follow my plans. But I want us to see here that it not only addresses sinful expressions of sexuality, Paul also here is concerned about covetousness. Now, what, what's covetous, kids? That's, that's sort of a big word. Covetousness? I can't even say it. It means greed, okay, is maybe another way to say that. It is this constant desire for more and more. It's a, a grasping that it's rooted in a dissatisfaction with our lives and what we have. Now, how do you tell if, you're, if greed has controlled your heart? You know, we might all struggle with greed from time to time, but how do you tell if it's sort of taken that root in your heart? And the reality is, is that you will find yourself discontent with where you are in life. You, you, you function as if life is not what it should be, and the only way to correct that is if circumstances somehow change. If I only am able to get that pickup truck, will I you know, then be happy? You know, if, if only my boss would act differently at work, then I would be happy. If my wife would only stop doing whatever, then life would be good. And so you function as if life is not what it should be, and the only way to correct that is if circumstances would change. And so what often accompanies this sense of greed or covetousness is depression. Depression can be a sign of covetousness and greed because we spend all of our time focusing on what it is that we don't have, but think we need rather than giving thanks to God for who we are and what the Lord has given us and in delighting in Him. As a matter of fact, uh, he talks about covetousness so strongly that in verse 5 he calls it idolatry. Paul wants us to abandon those things in our lives that are contrary to the character of God. God is our Heavenly Father who loves us so much. God knows that the greatest blessing that we could have would be to have a relationship with Him. Now, if we said that, that would come across as very conceited. If I said to my wife, you know, sweetie, the greatest thing you could have is to have a relationship with me, she would probably look at me and go, yeah, right. You know, But God can say this because God is perfect and He knows 
that truly the greatest thing that we could have, the greatest blessing that we could have would be to have a relationship with Him. And the outcome of that kind of intimacy with God is a love for one another, a love that is so great that we are even willing to lay down our life for the person that it is that we love. Not because they deserve it, but just because we love them, because we've chosen to love them. We're, so we are not to use others for our own personal satisfaction and to fulfill our own desires. Brothers and sisters, that is the very opposite of love, is to use people for our own benefit. And Christ has set us free so that we might walk in love. But greed or covetousness makes idols of such things. And so what ends up, what we end up doing is setting our hearts on things and people that we just got to have. We just got to have them. The problem is, is that when we get them, we got to have something else because it doesn't satisfy. There's no end to greed. It's like a black hole. It just everything keeps getting sucked into it. And we never are satisfied. And no wonder Jesus says that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things. Of course, greed disagrees and makes an idol of material abundance and sex and money. And when greed takes over our hearts, we no longer find our joy in God, but instead in the pursuit of things. They become idols that we worship and we yearn for rather than God. To covet things is to say that God is not enough. Covetousness and greed, brothers and sisters, are very dangerous because it, it tempts us to worship things other than God. And, and, and sometimes to worship things alongside God. And that's why it's so dangerous. Because we can say, no, I love God. But we also, there's a sense in which we don't feel fulfilled unless we attain whatever it is that we've set our hearts on. So we've made that a God as well. And so we have two gods, which means God is not truly the God of our heart. We don't wholeheartedly love Him. And yet we think, well, I do worship God, so I'm okay but the reality is that we're not. And, and it's so poisonous and deadly are these vices that Paul says that they're not even to be named among you. Uh, he said in Exodus 23, he tells the Israelites that they are to pay attention to everything that he had told them. And then in Exodus 23:13, he says, and to make no mention of other gods. And that's what he's saying here. Don't even mention, don't even talk about, don't even think about these sins they are so heinous in the sight of God. But he said it's not just the actions, but it's also your speech as well. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So Paul here is talking about indecent or offensive talk, the, long, the, the kind of language that has no regards to others. But he also talks about foolish talk as well. In that, in that, he's talking about talk. He's talking about things that are they're funny or things that we think are sophisticated, but really tear other people down. And I think a, a great example of this is biting sarcasm. It's a, it's a form of that kind of talk, you know, to where you're tearing people down. He also mentions crude joking. That's the, the kind of joking that enjoys sort of pushing the envelope. It's a joking that has suggestive talk or includes indecent innuendos. You know, and what's so dangerous, brothers and sisters, about joking is that it can be, uh, it can it really seek to affect our, the moral well-being of our souls in the sense that we can think that something uh, is, is bad, 
excuse me, how do I want to say this? It's, it's hard for us to think that something is wrong or bad if we think it's funny. So to make a joke about things that are indecent, things that, that, that are contrary to God, is, is, is to make it more palatable and more acceptable for us to accept. And we think, oh, well, that's not so bad because it's just a joke. But the reality is it's not. And Paul says instead, our characteristics should be marked by that of thanksgiving. Is that the default setting of our hearts? That as we relate to one another, that, that we have a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving? Or is it filthy, foolish talk, crude talking that puts other people's down? And in case you wondered why it's so terribly important that we deal with these things, Paul says in verses 5 to 7, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, uh, that is an adulterer, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers of them. Do you see what he says? You know, back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit seals us for an inheritance. We're looking, for the, we're looking forward to the day, if we might use the analogy of Pilgrim's Progress, that we're on this path of the Christian life, and one day we're going to reach the celestial city. We'll be in heaven. And, and not only will we be in heaven, but we will no longer be encumbered with the temptation to sin. We'll be free from that. We can live with God in, in a perfect relationship. We can live in relationship with each other perfectly. There will, we will not sin against each other at all. That will be a glorious time. And we look forward to that inheritance. But Paul says here that those who are sexually immoral or impure or covetousness has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And brothers and sisters, Paul is talking to the church. I hope this is shocking to you and very sobering. It's a warning to us. And Paul wants to shake us from a casual attitude of sin because a, a veneer of Christianity overlaying an otherwise worldly life is not Christianity at all. And Paul says, let no one deceive you. You see, there are those that are seeking to come alongside you to say, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. It's all right. And you hear in the church today in America preachers that will stand up in the pulpit and say, come to Jesus, and they never say, repent of your sin. They never say, turn from your sin. You know, it's like, it's okay. You can do whatever you want. Jesus will forgive you. Those are deceivers. And Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Mouthing Bible words on Sunday morning, but then speaking a, just a whole bunch of, of uh, foul language Monday through Saturday, or a, a quoting of religion while you, our hearts and our secret selves are characterized by sexual immorality and immorality and Im, impu, sexual impurity and immorality, Paul says, a life like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it may be that some of us here this morning need to hear those alarm bells that Paul is sounding loud and clear. 
If you walk in the way of this world, it will lead you to the world's tragic end. But if you can hear those alarm bells of God's word warning you and calling you to repent, well then there may still be hope for you. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. You don't have to walk or live in the shadows or in the vice or the grips of secret sin. The light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, can give you the light of life. This isn't the only place Paul gives this warning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, you can step out of the shadows. The light of life may yet engulf you and chase the darkness away. Jesus Christ can make you clean. Hear the alarm bells and flee to the only refuge for sinners like me and like you. Run to Jesus and he will make you clean. God is calling us to repent. And those who do repent, Paul calls in verse 8, children of light. And so we are called to walk as children of light. Now how do you do that? What does that mean? If we are not going to live in the darkness anymore, but live as children of light, to walk in the light, what does that mean? Well, if you look at verses 9 and 10, there's a couple of principles there, but that's for Ben to talk about next week. So you're going to have to come back. You're going to have to hear. But this morning, I want us to check our hearts. I want us to see where we're at. I want us to, to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would, would examine our hearts and our minds and, and, and reveal to us the true character of our hearts and our relationship with God. So this morning, do me a favor and just bow your heads. Let's just have a, a time of silence and meditation upon the Word of God. And know that if you are His child, then you are dearly loved. And He has laid down His life that you may be an imitator of Him to walk in light and in love. No longer as the world walks in darkness and the futility of their minds and, and being deceived. But if you do see that you are walking in darkness, then God calls you to step from that darkness to light, to come to Him and say, Lord, I have sinned. God, my heart has been so full of greed and covetousness. Lord, I, I have fallen into the sin that Adam and Eve fell into when Satan asked him, is God really good? You know, can you trust him? And they said, no. And they took of the fruit so that they might be like God. But we can struggle with that same sin. 
and we can wrestle with it to the point to where we're struggling with depression and discouragement and, and life just seems so overwhelming because we're looking for something other than Christ and finding our satisfaction in Him. And He calls us to turn from our sins and to trust that He can change our hearts. And even if you come this morning and you've never really thought about God, that's what He calls you to do. To turn from your sins and to trust Him, to, to know that He actually can give you a new heart. He can set you free from, from the bondage of sin, the guilt of sin, and make you a new creature in Christ. Lord, we thank you so much that we could hear your word today. And we pray, God, that you would so work in our hearts to love you more. And God, if there be those that are here today that are caught in sin, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's maybe it is greed or or some other sexual immorality or or maybe just the words of their lips uh, are evidence and and uh, against them that their heart is not changed as it ought to be. God, may we come to you and lay everything at the foot of the cross. May we, Lord, pray that you would change our hearts, that you would give us new life in Christ, that we would step out of the shadows and walk as children of light and walk in the love that we have been shown by you as our Father. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen. As we close this morning, uh, I ask you if you would to, to take your hymn books and, and as we sing number 488, May the Mind of Christ My Savior, may that be your prayer. May it not just be a song of praise to the Lord, but may it be your prayer to Him as well. So please, let's stand and sing together. <clears throat>